The economy is getting back underway, and with it, the world of pro sports. Stay ahead of the curve with the unparalleled tools of two world-class news desks covering developments across finance, economics, technology, and sports. Subscribe to Bloomberg.com, and if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic for a limited time, receive a complimentary subscription to The Athletic. Go to Bloomberg.com slash subscribe to sign up today. Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It is Friday, September 4th, just over three weeks remaining in this fantasy baseball season. I'm Derek Van Riper, joined today by one of my best friends in this industry, Todd Zola of Masters Ball and Rotowire. Todd, how's it going for you on this Friday? Hey, DVR. Hey, this is like olden times, right? Yeah, we used to host the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast together on Fridays, actually, and some other days, uh, depending on the time of year. It's a great show. You're still on there with Clay on Fridays. Uh, a lot of brain power on that show uh, across the board. And uh, we usually co-manage a team that drafts in late September <laughs> for the following season. That didn't happen this year. That got Well, the draft happened. The league didn't play out because of, of COVID, but that draft is drawing closer if it's going to come back here. So... We're going to talk about some big picture questions that I want to discuss with you, uh, mostly focusing on things like how 2020 should be weighted in player projections and if we can glean anything from this season's park factors. We've got a 60-game season that's been played in mostly hot weather. And if there are any breakouts or declines you've seen in 2020 that you think we should believe in going forward. So tons of ground to cover. And let's start with the projections questions because... I think this is one of the most difficult things to figure out. I think we should take one step back. You've done projections for a long time for your site over at Masters Ball. How do you usually build a projection when you're looking back at previous seasons? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a it's a work not so much a work in progress, but it, it you know it's an organic thing that can, constantly grows as we get more information. Basically, I take I take what's been done, I distill it down to a neutral form taking out the parks and doing whatever regressions I can. And this is the part that has improved over the years just because we have more data, StatCast data, other data, and try to flesh out as much of the luck as we can to just build it down to a neutral skills projection. And I use a three-year base. Other people use four or five years. I, I use a three-year base, and I, I bring everything to neutral, I come up with a weighted average of a neutral projection for each player, and then I bring it back up based on park, based upon parks, based upon age, and whatever other factors I feel are necessary. So everything gets still down to neutral, and then gets brought back up again uh, based upon the based upon the situation that player is playing in that year. And I try to get try to base it on skills. I mean, everything is based off of the skills. And you know that that's going to be the tough part this season is in 60 games, Statcast will help us delineate, you know, the, what the skills are, but there's still going to be some outliers. Yeah, and I think that's been the hardest thing about making decisions in this shortened season is deciding what do you really believe in. But even when we get to the end of the 60 game season, there are still going to be some unanswered questions. We've seen a lot of star players put up lines that just look far from what you typically would get from them, even over a typical 30-game stretch. At least that's what it appears on the surface. But I think our brains are not really wired very well to to look at 30 games in isolation in the shortened season and realize that it's actually not that different compared to a 30- or 40-game snapshot that we would see in a typical year. I just think this is like the beginning of a season. We talk about it every year probably in late April, early May, you know, be patient. These guys are struggling. They're going to get back to their norm. And a lot of times things happen the way we expect them to, but right. plenty of times they don't. I look at a guy like Christian Yelich. I mean, the the way his season has started, he's hitting 205 with a 340 OBP entering play on Friday, slugging 484. But it's kind of like the Jose Ramirez problem that we saw last year. Like that could take another 30 games for Yelich to really start to turn that around or he could start turning it around today and in 30 games he could have a line that looks more like a typical Christian Yelich line because he just plays at the top end of his 
typical range over right. these next 30 games, right? Like that's that's what's maddening about it. And I think the other part of this that's crazy is that in a 60 game season for a young player, the league could still not have enough time to maybe adjust to that player. So Luis Roberts going to be the poster child for this. I think he's amazing. Like you look at the underlying numbers, the stat cast numbers, mm-hmm. everything he's doing on the field is really exciting. But you have to wonder in this season can the league put together a book on him and make adjustments? My argument is that you probably can't. It, it, we don't get to see the adjustment phase until the early part of 2021. At least not to the full extent. I mean, we can start backwards with Robert and kind of go backwards. But yeah, the you can you can you can number scout, you can scout off a TV, but it's still not the same as, as getting for the some of the scouts going to the park, watching these players, getting real books on them, and you're you're seeing. The, the concentrated, the geographical way of playing, you're only seeing the way seven or eight teams attack certain hitters. You're not seeing an entire league and what they're doing and, and other other teams finding holes that, that teams within the division maybe aren't. So the whole year is just – there's just so many different variables that you have to sort of consider. So, I you know, a guy like Robert, I agree. But on the other hand, the, the players themselves, we talk about it with J.D. Martinez, can't – can't do the same video work that he normally does, whether that's an excuse for his low numbers or not, I don't know. So players themselves can't make the same adjustments, at least in-game, as they can get. Now, you mentioned Yelich before. The other sort of overriding factor this whole season is we don't know how you know a weird spring training, then a huge delay, then starting up again affects these guys as far as preparation and timing and and heck, you know, no fans' motivation. Some of these guys need that charge, need that adrenaline, need that little push, and you know they can harness it. And that that could be some of the the issues too with with some you know Yelich in particular. You know, we've forgotten at this point that the guy had a broken kneecap a year ago, and yeah. the timing and 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 the confidence, all that sort of stuff. I think that the the layoff hurt that, you know, hurt the mindset, etc. And you, you you can't totally dismiss what's happening, but I don't know that you can say, well, this is this is a plausible outcome for Yelich because he did it this year. I think you have to sort of downplay it because it was such a crazy, crazy season in general. So uh, it's 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 going to be interesting. Um, when I do the projections, I'm I'll, I'll treat everything the same. And if a guy gets 200 bats in one year and 600 in another, the year that he gets 600 counts more. I mean, I just I count. Uh, I mean, I wait. I may wait the 200 more recent with a higher weighting, but it's still just 200 versus 600. So just by that alone, the, this season isn't going to have as much pull. But I may even change the sort of the, the weighting average as far as how much pull does this season have. I may, I may make it on a par um, with last season, and just instead of going, uh, I mean, the Marcells go five three one. So as an example, maybe we go four four one or something to that. If I don't know exactly what I'll do, but I just I, there's just so much stuff going on this season. I just I can't you know I don't want to give you know Fernando Tertiz too much credit either. You know I mean because one of the things we we don't know is will these players be able to sustain the good players? Will they be able to sustain their pace for six months? Once you know having played and I know it's hot weather now. But normally you play three or four months, then you hit the hot weather. So some of these guys on just an insane pace, will they be able to sustain sustain it? And we won't know that. But yet the only numbers we'll have were the you know the two months that we have. Kind of thinking about the way you described the weights on previous years of projections, and and what I've been trying to do to make better decisions is I'll take the FanGraphs leaderboards and I'll roll them back to either the start of 2019 through this chunk of 2020, or maybe I'll do a past calendar year because then I'm looking at a, a larger range of plate appearances or a larger rate mm-hmm. of innings. But I wonder if that's actually a little bit of a, a mistake on my part just because of how different these seasons are. I mean, we say this a lot too. These guys are human beings. Like Everybody you know is coping with the pandemic and the stress that comes from the pandemic in a different way. Now for... Wealthy baseball players, that varies a lot. They go on the road. They are supposed to stay in a nice hotel room and not do anything. That Mm -hmm. still breaks their routine. They're away from their families a lot more 
than they ordinarily would be in a season, right? There are plenty of players with uh, wives and children who stayed at their off-season home and you know they're not seeing them. They're doing the Zoom call thing, right? That has an impact on some people. It varies. There's not really a good way to measure it. So I'm wondering if it's actually a mistake to take 2019 numbers, whether it's, again, past calendar year, all of it, and then lumping that with 2020 to say, okay, now I've got a better snapshot of who this player is because is 2020 just so tainted and so weird that it doesn't matter really at all? Like It it just skews everything so far away from the norm that all we're going to do is end up making more mistakes by even accounting for it at all. Probably, but I don't know that we can completely ignore it either because that may be unfair to some players that have shown true growth. So it's it's going to be difficult, and there's there's no saying there's no saying that next season is normal either, right? I mean, we don't there may not be fans. Uh, we don't know how spring training is going to run, so there's no saying how next season is going to go. So it's just it's just I don't want to it's. It's inter- I mean, it's it's challenging. It's fun. It's frustrating. It's all those things, and we just have to try. You know, do, it's our job. It's just do the best we can. You know, I put my hat on. Enjoy the enjoy the baseball when it's on. But as far as trying to do all this, no, it is it is incredibly frustrating. And we play in our leagues. We we want to do well. We want to we want to win. All those sorts of things. So we want to try to figure out the edges. But you're right. I mean, you, you just once you, once you come up with a question, you think you know the answer. Something else hits you, and then something else hits you, then something else hits you. So, I mean, how many – the lack of innings by these pitchers, if it is a full season next year, can we expect, uh, you know, 220 – well, never expect 220 anymore. Can we expect 200 innings from even from even the horses because we're only going to get 60, 70, 80 this year? So it's it, the whole – it's just the conundrum. It's just a, it's a new paradigm. It's the uh, way it's going to be. And hopefully, knock on wood, we're only dealing with this year and next – but who's to say? Yeah, I, I don't even want to think too much about 2022 <laughs> yet because um, yeah. you know we're we're still really kind of crawling toward the end of yeah. 2020 uh, at this point. Uh, even if this weren't such a weird season, if it were just shortened for other reasons, why is a 60 game sample so problematic when you're distilling players' skills the way that you do? Like what what falls short? What things can you not learn because of a sample that size? Well, primarily. Um, one of the problems is it, it, everything is, is, is geographic. You're not getting the same uh, array of facing all the different teams. So you're only facing X number of teams. So normally strength of opponent, strength of, uh, of division, et cetera, is just a wash because it neutralizes out. It may not neutralize out with the, the way the geographic schedule is this year. Um, you're going to hear a lot, and I'm, I'll be honest, there's some, some, some pretty smart people that talk about stability points and, and certain skills stabilize faster, and these are the skills that you can say are stable. The, there's an issue with using stability points that I've written about and talked about for years, and I, I wish some of my brethren would catch up or tell me I'm all wet, either one, but the stability <laughs> points, and you know, from the gentleman Russell Carlton from Baseball Perspectives and other places that first wrote about them and then wrote that people are including himself and are misusing them. The, 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 the stats might be stable within the X plate appearances or at bats or batter's face to whatever the metric or whatever the measuring stick may be. People then think, well, it's a new skill. It doesn't mean the next X number of plate appearances are going to display the same skill. It just meant within that particular subset, the the lock to skill ratio is 50-50. That's sort of the general accepted way when you talk about the sticky points or stability points. It doesn't mean the next set of X plate appearances is going to be the same. It just meant within that first set, that's what it was. And people, including myself, misinterpreted that and said, well, plate appearances, uh, 60 plate appearances for a contact rate, wow, that's pretty quick. 60 plate appearances is is 12 to 15 games, and so we know in half a month a new contact rate. No, within that two weeks, three weeks, that contact rate was real. It doesn't mean the next two or three weeks it's going to be real. So I I think anybody that wants to look at skills and talk about stability or stickiness has either tell me I'm wrong or rethink the way you're doing it because and, and again I'm not I'm not the one that first came out and said it was wrong the guy that kind of invented the whole thing 
said it was wrong. And it's kind of bumming me out because I was on the bandwagon of this is how I'm going to do rest of season projections. I've got the golden nugget here. And it turned out maybe I didn't. So uh, that's the first thing is let's be careful about how we, we, we well, he, his contact rate was improved. Therefore, that that is a skill we can trust. I don't know that we can. Um, that's sort of the first thing just to keep in mind. But we you know, we can do the best we can. It's just a, we, the expected stats over two months. We should get a little, you know, we should be able to take care of some of the luck. But, again, we just we don't know what would have happened over the course of the full season. You know, production varies. Skills skills are arranged, too. You kind of alluded to it before. Kristen Yelich could hit the upper end of his skills uh, range. We, we, don't, we haven't seen the full set of the skills range. So that's going to be the issue. But hopefully, knock on wood, because we're only getting a third of the playing time, therefore it only has a third of the pull, it doesn't, it doesn't skew things that much. It's going to, you know, the majority of the population is probably going to be good, but there's those outliers up and down that we're not going to know about. So those are the ones that, you know, we, those, those are the concerns is the up and down outliers. So I guess we, when we take a look at them, we'll have to decide, do we want to artificially calm them down? I mean, Fernando Tartis, everybody's on all these analysts. Ah, he didn't, he didn't regress. He didn't regress. Yes, he did. His uh, batting average and balls in play, which we all said regressed, did. We didn't expect the power output to to zoom up as it did. And anybody out there who wants to knock the, the, the projectors for, for being wrong on Tatis, show me where you said his power was going to be this good. Yeah, that wasn't anyone's argument anywhere. <laughs> I stayed away from him in drafts because oh. my argument was that based on projections, which, look, this could just be a logical problem that I had, but based on projections, I thought Javi Baez would do the same thing over a full 162 that right. Tatis was going to do, and you'd get Baez 20, maybe even 25 picks later. That was my sort of argument against him. I'll choose somebody else. I'll get an ace pitcher. I'll get something else in that spot. Let somebody else take Tatis. You know, He's a great player, but I can get the same thing from someone else a little bit later and have the best possible team. I don't remember hearing anyone saying Oh yeah! By the way, this guy, this teenager who came up and hit the ball uh, is really about as hard as any young player has ever come up and hit the ball before. He's actually going to add six miles per hour to his average <laughs> exit velocity yeah. in year two. Like no, nobody called that, but it does make me look at those numbers and I say, okay, well that that's an extreme increase. Like that's a big, big jump. And I think if I'm looking for skills that I'm going to believe in for the future, even if that's not the new baseline, I don't think anyone's going to argue that at this point, that sort of extreme change is one that I'm a little bit more interested in buying into as sustainable going forward, right? Like There's there's more yeah. skill there than we realize. We could argue a lot about, okay, how much more is it? Is he the kind of guy that's going to average 93.5 on... As average exit velocity going forward, is he going to be a 30 home run guy perennially with a 40 home run peak? And is he going to steal 20 plus bases annually? I mean, you can you can kind of fine tune all this stuff, right? But this, to me, even though I didn't see it coming, this extreme is enough to believe in going forward. Would would you agree that you need to see more of an extreme improvement or more of an extreme decline in the shortened season to be swayed about a player's skills actually? changing in either direction yeah and i i'll be on i'll be i'm more i'm i'm less concerned about a skills drop because for all the reasons we kind of talked about you can there there are anecdotal reasons narratives how you can explain away a skills drop um none none of those none of those apply to to an improvement improvement is probably an improvement now exactly it's just how much of an improvement now again the fact that it's only going to be 200 Plate appearances or whatever it might be is, isn't going to have the full effect of a full season. So that's kind of the built-in, you know, hedge, if you will. So when we Tatis's projection will be improved organically because the skills are better, but it won't be improved as if he did this over a whole year because he's at least the way I'm doing it because he's only doing it over a third of the year. So you know, Tatis is going to improve in my baseline more than Yelich is hurt. Is, is this is sort of what I'm saying? How I actually go about doing that yet, I'm not sure. But that's 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 kind of where I'm coming from. Actually, I think with the way it'll take care of itself is because it's probably 
there's, there's probably some built-in bad luck to what Yelich is doing. So when I do the regressions, it'll sort of take care of it all by itself. But um, yeah, as far as as far as that goes, um, yeah, we're gonna be every year. There's a new. Is it Mookie Betts that's gonna challenge Mike Trout? Is it Christian Yelich, Randall Acuna? You know, we're gonna be having when we uh, if we have the number one pick in the premature draft in two weeks. You know, there's gonna be you know is is it Tatis? He, he he's gonna be he is gonna be taking number one in some drafts next year. I'm not so sure it's, that's the wrong answer, but you know, he's now the guy. Yeah, hey, I'm right there with you. He's absolutely <laughs> in that conversation. I'm glad we do have a couple weeks. He's so fun. The Padres are such a fun team to watch. I know you, as a Red Sox fan, you appreciate Don Orsillo. Uh, oh, yeah. For late night viewing, Joe Davis and the Dodgers booth is really good, but I actually prefer watching the Padres. I like the Padres booth as much as any of those West Coast teams. I gravitate toward that team even when they're not fun to watch. So for me to right. actually enjoy watching them now, on this level, it's a treat to have Padres games yeah. on uh, late night here in the Midwest. Yeah, no, I, I had the volume down for most of the games, and I will turn it back up again for Arcelo, for Don Arcelo late at night. He's getting the chemistry now with the with, with his with his color guys, and uh, it's it's he to me he he knows when to turn it on and when to turn it off. Knows when to be silly, knows when to be serious, and you know can call a straight game as well. So he's just my favorite announcer at this point. But um, yeah, the Padres in general just uh, it, the pitching's only going to get better, and they're they're just such a fun team at this point. I think we should just call it a day and let the Padres and Rays play a best of forty-seven right now. <laughs> just let them play for the rest of September and and see yeah. see what yeah. happens. Uh, I'd be okay with that, as, as you know, as long as we can just get past the Rays and Yankees beanball wars, caveman stuff. Like that's mm. to me, that's always been my least favorite part of baseball. At least one of my least favorite parts, and I I just I don't want nothing to, to do with that kind of story. Uh, right, it's just. I, don't, I hate watching the the back and forth, the chirping. Obviously, it's right. dangerous when you have a guy throwing 101 over somebody's head. Uh, but looking at a few other hitters for a moment, right? it's easy to, I, I, I relatively speak, I think it's easy to look at Tatis and go, okay, he's better. Like That one kind of slaps you in the face. I think it's a lot harder to confidently say that about players who are still very good, but they're not at the elite of the elite level. Or maybe they're a little bit older than you'd expect for their breakout. And one guy who really jumps off the page when you look at the leaderboards the way I've been looking at him is Mikey Stremski. He's yeah. near the top of the overall value leaderboard. Like you're looking at war, it's not a fantasy stat. He's second behind Tatis in war. He's got a 169 WRC+. plus. I mean, he's been outstanding this season. He's like a top 10 hitter if you want to use WRC+, plus as a catch-all metric. You know, Eight homers on the year. 298, 411, 603 line. He's a little old. He is hitting in a very difficult park. Oracle Park is brutal for left-handed hitters. And he had that late breakout. He ticks all the boxes of a player that I would be very slow to buy into in the past. So do you have any players, either Yastrzemski himself or like that on the hitter side, that have really shown you something this season that you do believe in who's not getting that sort of star-level attention that we're all giving to Tatis? You know, it's weird. I, I've i been so granular between trying to keep up with player changes and pitching changes because a lot of the stuff I do on a day-to-day basis is daily notes. I haven't I haven't really honed in on on particular players of that nature yet. Yastrzemski's is just the, the whole war thing. I need to. I wonder how much of it is defense and is he that good defensively, or is the the park he plays in giving him kind of a boost because the the number, you know, the Statcast numbers, you know, a forty-six percentile outfielder jump, that doesn't that doesn't stand out to you. So it, it is it is kind of weird. And people, you know, you mention it. He's 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 thirty. And I hear a lot of people, well, the next great Giants team, Mike Yastrzemski. Well, I doubt it. I, I doubt he's going to be that good when he's thirty-seven. So uh, people just have to keep in mind, you know, dynasty leagues, whatever. Um, you know, as a you said, Red Sox fan, you no know, grandson of Carl. It's it's fun to follow him. You know, when he came up last year with Baltimore, it's supposed to be just because it was because it was, they needed a DH and a he was like the twenty sixth man in a doubleheader, hit a couple home runs in Camden, and he hasn't looked back since. But I have you know, I, I have not gotten that granular. You throw a player at me, I could come up with something, but I don't have a list of guys yet that I'm doing. I'm I'm kind of focusing more on the pitching at this point. 
I'm interested in a guy like Brad Keller, who is throwing a, a better a spinning his slider more. But again, we don't know if he's going to be able to sustain it. Uh, a couple of guys on, on the Marlins, uh, the same with Lopez and Eliezer Hernandez, who now is hurt. They're going to look good over, over two months, but we don't know what they would have done over six months. So th- those are the skills that, you know, in pitching is just so important that I'm, it's kind of, I'd like to see what they're going to do for the next couple months. Well, not at this point, next couple of weeks, but um, just, we, I just it's going to be trying to figure out these new skills. Where, where do we go with them? Yeah, and I think on the pitching side, at the very top end of the pool, like Shane Bieber is kind of the Tatis equivalent, right? A guy that we we knew was good. I don't think anybody said, "Oh yeah, he's getting better." Like that, most people saw some regression. I think I remember Alex Chamberlain had uh, some hard hit numbers that were a little bit scary with Bieber that made it oh. look like he was going to give up a lot of home runs this year. He's just unlocked something that, frankly, I I don't even know if internally if Cleveland believed he could be this good but no no but it's very convincing right when you watch him you're like this guy is just on top of the world right now he's a legitimate ace and I thought maybe 2019 was the best we'd ever see but I think he's going to be a longer peak guy than I previously believed right now Bieber you know kind of like Tatis and people don't want to people don't want to hear regression this that the other thing he's still giving up hard hits this year so I was with Alex and several other people as well that's a concern when when the the contact so the the question though instead of instead of um, you know when will the regression come when because Bieber gives up such hard hit when it, the question now is how the heck do batters make such good t- contact off of him that's <laughs> when you, you the swing and miss every I, I don't understand you know do you are they just p- simply guessing and if they happen to guess right they happen to square it up but they just don't guess right very often that's just it's just weird when you have such great stuff but when you do hit it you hit it really hard that's just not normal so it's and it's happening again this year but you know you know Bieber's showing everything else um yeah I do think he's an ace and he you know he he is young or younger so he he is a guy we can count on but he's gonna be is he the number one pitcher next year I don't know I don't know if he's the number one pitcher next year but he's certainly going to be considered, you know, he's going to be one of those guys considered in a 15-team draft at the turn, I would think. Yep, I, I think that's exactly where I'd put him as well. I, I think he falls at that turn probably third, fourth starting pitcher off the board at worst with a chance to be more than that depending on he how. May, he, may jumping, he may jump max this year, I yeah, would think. I, I think, and I think this is another one where you can look at, you can look at Scherzer and you could say like, hey, the track record's amazing, it's a short season he could still be max for another year, but you had to start building in some decline with Max Scherzer anyway. Oh, sure. There were little signs of that the last couple of seasons anyway. We're talking very, very little signs, but home run rate is up this year. Walk rate's up this year, right? Like it, he's, he's 35, like it, it, or 36 now. He turned 36 in July. It's just the part of his career where he's not going to be Superman anymore. And I realize that you can say that and look stupid if he comes back and has a late 30s Justin Verlander type season. Like That's obviously in his range of outcomes. But I feel like it is risky to bet on that outcome if the price is still a pick in the first two rounds. Like There was a little discount on Verlander a couple years ago. He was more of a third or fourth round guy. If you start getting Mm -hmm. Scherzer there, totally makes sense. If he holds up as a guy who's consistently going in those first 25 to 30 picks, it's easy to talk yourself out of him given the circumstances, which, again, might be me as a fantasy analyst having a little bit of age discrimination, but I think you just got to be careful about not expecting these guys to just repeat over and over and over again indefinitely despite the fact that the track record is incredible. Right. Now, Scherzer, you can even just, instead of giving 32 starts, you give him 30, and his ranking just drops organically. But I think you have to also have to nick the skills a bit. But sort of tying our early discussion and this discussion together is from projections and this sort of thing. One thing that people aren't talking about, and I was kind of, I, I, I'm not going to take a victory lap on this. Well, there's still three weeks left, and there's just so many other factors. But the universal DH, the the if if starting at the beginning of the season, if you took away the pitchers from the National League and the DHs from the American League and looked at lineups, the National League, you know, remaining eight hitters were better than the American Leagues. So if the National League DHs came anywhere close to the American League DHs, 
the National League ERAs should be higher than the American League. And even though individual pitchers may not reflect it, two months is enough for the league to reflect it. And I know we're still short of two months, but as of right now, the American League ERA is 4.39 and the National League is 4.54. So that's coming to fruition. I mean, again, if I'm you know, not not exactly taking a victory lap yet because of, but but that's I expected that and I expect it to stay stay constant. But we have to go in and when we're looking at projections, talking about how we weight things, we need to adjust the non-DH years of NL pitchers to account for the fact that they're now facing a DH. And I I don't I think one of the bigger mistakes made in drafts this year was there was not enough of a of a correction given to NL pitchers. Right now, I mean, you want AL pitchers over NL pitchers. That's that's you know we're we're, we're both trained when we a draft. Not not only tie goes to the NL. You you want to look for NL pitchers. Not anymore. Yeah, that's how I've played forever. <laughs> I've always had that yeah, yeah. that lean toward the NL pitching pool, and uh, it's gone. In fact, yeah, it's wrong as you said. I think I think that holds up. You know, of the different rule changes, the DH and the seven innings and the and the uh, extra innings i mean the universal dh I, I think that's a pretty good chance of, of carrying over the other ones we'll have to see with the situation i mean the others may carry over just because we're still dealing with the with the pandemic and, and some of the repercussions but i think long term i think universal dh could be here to stay yeah, I hope it is. I prefer I do it. Too. I, I just I think both leagues should play by the same rules. I don't like watching pitchers hit. Uh, I don't right. like watching pitchers get injured while swinging the bat or running the bases. It's just right. And I don't I don't think the strategy payoff is worth it either. I've said this before. If your favorite part of the game is Mike Schilt coming out of the dugout to make a double switch in the seventh inning, you you're missing a lot of cool things about baseball. If that's your favorite thing. Uh, is certain- it strategy or is it common sense? I say the same thing about fantasy. A lot of what people talk about a strategy to me is just common sense. Yes. I'm going to put the guy with a better, you know, I'm going to put the guy with more game. You know, I want to play daily because uh, you know, I, I can, I can make my lineup changes. Well, yeah. Is it strategy to, to put a, a hitter in it or is it just common sense? So I think the same double switches, et cetera, because the other, other argue you can make in the American league, or not everybody, but it's not automatic when you take you, you had that parachute of, oh, I'm lifting him here for a pinch hitter. I know he's pitching well, but I need the run here and, you know, et cetera. Managers have to actually decide when to take pitching out now. I think that that aspect of it kind of trumps all that double shifting sort of stuff. Well, I, I prefer optimal management of pitchers in general. Like if you have right. a guy who can get through the lineup twice really effectively, then you've got a great reliever who can come in and give you two plus behind that starter. Awesome. Yeah. Like do that. That's that's ex, that's executing a strategy. Now, it might lead to more strikeouts. Like that's maybe something the game doesn't want necessarily. So there's there's a, an impact from that. But all in all, I, I prefer the universal DH. I, I just think it's. It's a better game. It, it just it is, and this is coming from someone who's watched the National League a lot more than sure. the American League for the better part of the last twenty years or so. Now, we are going to talk about park factors in just a minute, but first, a quick word from one of our sponsors. All right, Todd. So, park factors in a shortened season are something that we <laughs> should discuss a little bit too, because it's been weird. A because the season started uh, in. July and weather is hot in July and the ball flies when the weather is hot and humid. Um, So a good chunk of this season has been played in optimal hitting conditions. But then Mm -hmm. we also get weird variables like, you know, no fans in the stands, like which I think can change things a little bit in some places. Um, How do you rectify park factors for 2020, considering all the different things that are unique about the shortened season? If I were doing projections tomorrow, and it's I'm not doing tomorrow, but it's not that far away that I will be doing them because I, I launched November 1st, I would not include these at all. I would not include this at all. I would have to come up with something for uh, Texas, Globe Life Field, just because it's a new park. But I would, I'm going to totally throw them out the window. Just in, I've already done some studies. In two months, it's already if, – if, if all the other factors I'm about to rattle off didn't even exist – Two months isn't enough to, uh, to, to have a park factor stabilize. But this year, you've got, you've got 
double headers where one team's home and away you know, to make up games. So in order, you got to go in and, 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 and adjust that back and figure out which was the home team, which was the away team and correct your numbers. You've got Salem field, which is just, you know, wacky out there. Uh, it's playing weird. Normally the wind blows in off the lake. It's been blowing out and it's just been a hitter's paradise in, in Buffalo there. I kind of alluded to it earlier with strength of divisions. When you, even if you do the park factors, they're only they're only sort of relative to other parks that are played in. So when you do the park factors, like the uh, the Milwaukee Park, it's only in reference to the other nine parks in the central divisions because none of the data is coming from the other parks. So a, a park can be neutral. A, a park can be neutral in the east, in the central, and the west. But those three parks may play differently because it's only relative to the ten parks within each geographical region. So to me, there's just so many, so much wackiness that I they'll they'll be out there, they'll be published, and people will, you know, fold them into their three-year park factor data. But I'm I'm going to just dismiss it because I there's just too much variables. Again, going to come up with something with Texas, and right now <laughs> it's playing pretty pretty big. <laughs> Uh, global life field, but I don't think it's is I don't think it, I don't I don't think it's going to be to the extreme pitching that the numbers may say it is. Although Texas isn't doing anything on the road either, but um, to me and you know I you know I I'm a kind of a park factor honk. I want to learn all I can from them. I don't think we can learn much of anything this year. Yeah, I mean I think with Globe Life Field that one is interesting because the the way that Globe Life Park, the previous version of the the ballpark in yeah. Arlington played, it was so hitter friendly because it was hot and humid, didn't have a roof. I think it was fairly reasonable with the addition of a roof and air conditioning to project a pretty good shift. And it, it does yeah. seem like it probably went more extreme to the pitcher friendly side than anybody could have reasonably expected. So, to me, I, I think you got to start just as a neutral park with it if you're trying to come up with some sort of baseline for 2021 I, I think if you start just in the middle you're not going to miss by nearly as much as if you try to try to fine-tune it based on the shortened season yeah um i kind of when i did i think i had it i think i actually had it slightly slightly hitter favor to hitter favor but even so because it was such extreme hitter favor the numbers for lance Lynn and mike minor etc uh, you know, we're still very favorable, but yeah, I, I think that's about right. And I think because I thought it might be slightly hit because it's the dimensions are, are still, you know, they're still fairly favorable. Now the roof was open once and it was a, it was a slug fest coincident or not. Who knows? They said they were going to have the roof open again. I've been checking. They haven't had it open again yet. Maybe when it gets a little cooler in the next couple of weeks, they'll have it open again. I don't know. The cardboard cutouts would probably be for it. I don't know, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, so the whole, but but in general, I just, I it's going to, part of, I described it earlier, I take my projection, I bring it to neutral, uh, you know, I'm going to have to use park factors not from this year to bring this year to neutral. That's just, it's just the way it's going to have to be. But it's, uh, it's just another factor. And the other, you know, the whole, kind of alluded to it, just as far as one of the rules, the whole, um 11th inning or 10th inning, putting a guy on run runs are per game. So even in the seven inning double header. So between, between extra inning games, having, you know, more runs scored because of the, the rules and then seven inning games, probably having fewer runs scored because they're shorter, the runs park factor, throw it out the window, or we're going to have to refigure, have to figure out and do it per inning or something. To, you know, maybe we have to figure it out per inning as opposed to per game, as the way it's done now. Uh, home runs, hits are done per plate appearance or per at bat, so that's taken care of with the shorter games already. But I mean, that's another the whole the, the fact there's so many double headers. Uh, we're getting rid of the soft underbelly of a lot of these bullpens. Uh, it's just the whole all these numbers to compare. It's not an apples to oranges comparison. And I'm sorry, it's not an apples to apples comparison anymore. So one follow-up question, you described yourself as a, a park factors honk. And I, I know you and I have <laughs> talked about uh, misconceptions about parks in the past for a while. I think people thought target field in Minnesota was more pitcher friendly than it actually is. 
Uh, Rogers Center, I think, is one that people got wrong for a long time. They thought it was more hitter-friendly than it actually is. Uh, is there one that you've noticed in recent years, maybe even in your prep for this season, that you, you heard people saying something that was just completely contradictory to the actual numbers? It, it's more to do with the parks that are extreme home run or favorable home run, but not necessarily for the runs. The Cincinnati's, the even even Milwaukee, uh, Yankee Stadium, Houston, the ones that are plus homers, but are because uh, because of the small nature of the park, when the ball doesn't leave the yard, the outfield the, out, the outfield out, the out, outfield hits are usually caught. So run scoring is tempered. It's in general those are the parks that uh, that I'm finding. You know, Yankee Stadium people. Oh, Garrett Cole, it's he's going to go to the the Yankee Stadium. He's the ERA is going to go up. Well, it may go up a little bit because Houston's such a good pitching park, but it's not going to go up as much as we think. Although you know, one individual you can't judge, and he's giving up home runs left and right. But that's it's general. You know, Nationals Park is a really really good hitting park, and I don't think people realize just how good a hitting park. Nationals Park is now, so it's it's the ones at the extremes, and then you can you know it's a completely different discussion. We haven't even you know how the ball is. Uh, if the ball's flying, it's going to change the the way the park. Well, it the, the the park factors change. The home run to run ratio changes, and we're not sure about that. Uh, I know there's some, some studies done on the ball, and it's different. What's weird is it's the uh, the uh, the air resistance is down, but uh, based upon average exit velocity, it looks like it might be a little jumpier than it's been in the past. So, and in two months, we, we, we're not going to get a real handle on that data either. And uh, so, you know, Miami and San Francisco, with the, the fences brought in, two months isn't going to tell us if that makes a big difference either. Yeah, no, I think that those are a lot of great points. And uh, the Nationals Park is one that that one. I think my eyes were open to Nationals Park when Eno put together that piece. He was looking at high drives, a certain type of batted ball in yeah. a bunch of different environments, and Nats Park was one that came up as more extremely hitter friendly for that type of batted ball. And it's like, well, that's you know, that's good. That's good for power. And I think at the time he attributed to possibly increases in temperature. Um, yeah, know, that that could change. You know, around ballparks, there's construction. There are things that uh, alter the way that wind patterns. Uh, impact a game in certain places like all those things can be pretty significant and they change sometimes without a lot of notice like yeah every once in a while you get the heads up that they're lowering a fence here or they're moving in a fence there but other times it's some developer put up a high rise <laughs> and it changed it changed the way that the wind was blowing through that particular part of, of the city so park factors are, are pretty pretty wild like that anyway uh, but a 60-game season, I think you outlined a lot of great reasons to not really worry about what we've seen this year going forward. Uh, one more question for you before we sign off. Are there any players coming out of the trade deadline that you're eyeing up on the waiver wire this weekend? Are there players who ended up in a better situation or maybe somebody who's going to play more uh, on a team because someone was traded away from a crowded situation? Uh, who were some of your early targets? Ask me again. I'm, I'm right now finished wrapping up my rest of season projection uh, numbers, and I, I all these names are going through my head. And as I go through a team, I make a mental note, um, and I, I just want to compare my numbers now to later. Um, I have the hammer and AL labor as far as Fab goes, and and am I really going to get Jonathan VR? Eh. But I know you're looking for the under the radar players. I'm interested in how Cabron Hayes does for Pittsburgh as an example, as somebody. Uh, Brian Hayes, now that he's going to get the job there in Pittsburgh. I'm even a little bit interested in Anthony Alford to see if they give him a uh, some full-time run in, in Pittsburgh. I don't have I don't have an extensive list. As a Red Sox fan, I'd like to watch a little bit of Bobby Dahlback, although I'm not at all confident that he's going to be the guy. Um, you know, the Red Sox have reset to get under the cap. The purpose is to spend more money. I think they will buy their next winning team and not necessarily develop it. Um, but it's it's. I'm more concerned as far as you know. You know everything we talked about. I I'm looking more for the pitching because pitching is just so important. I want to. I'm I'm trying to. 
trade deadline or not trade deadline, the guys that have shown a bit of improvement, I want to see if they carry it over. And some of the guys that I'm disappointed in, Anthony Desclafani as an example, I, I, I want to see if they do anything, Mike Miner, if they do anything down the stretch to turn it around to get me back on their bandwagon. I mean, the hitting, I'm a, I don't want to hand wave it. I, I pretty, well, actually, I am. I'm kind of hand waving it away. But I, it's the pitchers because you, you, you're drafting probably, you know, four, three or four starting pitchers that you're counting on, a couple that you're streaming, and then closers. You got to get those three, four, or five starting pitchers you're counting on right. And that's so that's of anything that's what I'm sort of watching following this year Brad Keller who I mentioned earlier I want to see if you know if I called him the next Lucas Giolito okay that's a bit hyperbolic <laughs> but is it is there anything close I, I think about uh, something you say a lot during draft season that you could bully hitting and, and manage pitching and to do that it's, it's streaming effectively it's being quick to notice a velocity increase or a change in pitch mix or an improvement in command and and being willing right. to take some flyers, it seems like it's been more difficult than usual to find good pitching on the wire. I'm not saying it hasn't happened, that there's been no good pitching that's come off the wire. There have been some top prospects that have come up and pitched really well. Sixto nice, Sanchez yeah. has been great. Tristan McKenzie's pitched well. Um, there's just a couple Dane guys. Dunning. Yeah, Dane Dunning's pitched well. Uh, but I, I do think where you can make the biggest difference is spending very little money on someone like a, a JT Brubaker or uh, finding someone like that who no one's really talking about. He doesn't have the pedigree. He doesn't command the big bid. He has the job and he comes up and he just does better than the projections. And if you're first to identify those players, I feel like that's one of those sneaky ways that you could actually do a lot of good in the standings and, it it doesn't look flashy. Like people, no, no one's going to ask you for your write up on you know. Hey, why, why'd you bid two dollars on JT Brubaker? Like the question that gets sent that week is why'd you spend two fifty on Tristan McKenzie? Like that's that's the more intriguing yeah. storyline. And yet these one and two dollar guys sometimes end up being big difference makers. No, you're right. And then we you know we do we do have the we do have the Statcast data, but I'm not sure. I don't. Again, you know the the, the whole two months we're not sure. I we, we kind of we. we talked a little bit offline about even something like a velocity change. How real is that, good or bad, because of the whole, well, spring training was kind of regular. They stopped it at the end, but then the whole ramp up, ramp down, uh, sorry, ramp down, ramp up, ramp back up again. I just, there's some guys, I just, their velocity right now, just, can you trust, you know, a loss? Is it real? And a gain, is it sustained? So you got to go on something. And velocity is important, so I'm sure we'll be making some decisions. So to me, you want to get your – we talked about Bieber. You, you want to get your DeGrom. You want to get somebody to anchor the staff, maybe wait a little bit, and then start to take some chances for a reason, for a velocity change, for a new pitch, that sort of thing. Is To me, that's the way you have to build staff. And, uh, you know, it, it's I'm not going to reach for that anchor, but I'm certainly not going to run away from it either. Yeah, I think we're clearly at the point now. If you are struggling in ratios, you have nothing to lose. You're just looking for innings at this point, trying to get wins, get Ks, maybe get lucky in those ratios, make up some ground, and pick up a few points, because everything's pretty soft for being in the second half of a season, right? Things can move pretty quickly. If you watch your standings, if you check them every day, you see people bounce around a lot more than usual for September, just because obviously it's a short season. So don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Well, what do we? You try to do. You you try to hang around and you wait for that one big week, and then you just try to be stable after that. Well, you know, last year, I mean, you know, humble brag in the TGFBI, I had that one big week in August. Well, you know, that was four months into the season. Yep. So it may not. It may not. It may the season may be not long enough to have that one big week. So it's that's just the way it's going to go. And you mentioned, you know volatility of standings memorial day is normally when the standings are somewhat stable in that if you look at the era and ratio you look at the ratios that they're kind of representative of what they'll be you know top to bottom of what they'll be and if you prorate the counting stats on memorial day they'll be close you know top to bottom the range is fairly close well memorial day this year is the last is, is the end of the season it'd be you know the equivalent of the, so the, the standings are just hugely volatile 
even so, at this point, you get that who uh, who who got lit up last night? Uh, well, Sunny Gray a couple of days ago, um, someone got sent him a typical picture got lit up last night. One you know one one inning six run outing is just gonna it's just gonna crush you. Yeah, doesn't take much to move things at this point. Uh, Todd, this was a lot of fun. It was great catching up with you, and I always love hosting pods with you. Uh, before we go, let our listeners know where else they can hear you and where they can read your work. They can hear me later on today. Um, when you listen to this, I, you alluded to it. I do the uh, the Friday pod with Clay. We do the the two start pitching and whatever else we feel like talking about. Uh, Rotowire, it's a free pod off Rotowire. I still speaking of Clay. Um, they still let us talk on the MLB Network Radio, not the Fantasy Station. The MLB Network Radio on Saturdays. We we're still on from four to five p.m. Usually reviewing pickups and uh, news of the day, so we can talk then. But I uh, continue to write for ESPN Daily Notes. If you're interested in trying to find pitching to stream that particular day, write the Daily Notes for ESPN. And work appears in Rotowire. And, and, and if you need to contact me and ask me any questions, I'm not a Twitter. I, I'm on Twitter, but I don't answer questions on Twitter. I'll answer anything you ask me on the Masters Ball Forum. Free to sign up and uh, happy to answer all your questions there. So, uh, you know, occasionally put some tout stuff out as well. And, uh, you know, after we get, you get three more weeks, folks, and unfortunately there's no first pitch this year, so we're not going to be able to hook up then. And there may be something online, which we'll hear about from the folks soon enough. But, uh, you know, gonna, gonna, I'm already I'm already missing missing uh, the fact we won't be together at first pitch. Yeah, that's the best trip of the year. We talk about it on the pods a lot. I think everybody who speaks at that event or who just attends it loves going to the fall league, watching games and just hanging out, talking about baseball, getting yeah. excited about the next season, watching the playoffs. That's been part of the routine in some years, depending on the timing of the event. Uh, definitely a bummer that we're all uh, not going to have that opportunity to get together in person this year. Todd, thanks again for the time today. That is going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. If you don't already have a subscription to The Athletic, you can get one for 40% off at theathletic.com slash Podcast. And I should point out, fantasy football season is almost here. Week one begins less than one week from today, Thursday night. Uh, Texans Chiefs is the season opener. We've got a new NFL show that you should check out. It's called The Athletic Football Show. It's hosted by Robert Mays. We've got a little fantasy talk in there on Fridays with myself and Michael Beller as well. For Todd Zola, I'm Derek Van Riper. We're back with you Sunday. Have a safe holiday weekend.